Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll read chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Let's read God's good word together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have you ever felt like you were connected to someone and then realized that connection was way more tenuous than you actually thought? I remember once I was talking to the mother of a childhood friend. We hadn't seen each other for years, and we were catching up, and um, I asked her how her daughter was doing, and she talked about uh, her, her grandchildren, her daughter's children, and uh, I, I said, oh yeah, I've seen pictures on Facebook, and uh, really felt like, you know, I knew something about their family, and after that conversation, I realized I hadn't talked to the daughter in over a decade. There was really no meaningful sense in which we could call ourselves friends. I just had fond memories that were sometimes bolstered by the occasional picture in my Facebook feed. I realized that connection did not mean very much. And sometimes we we get these fake connections. We feel like we have a connection with someone, like we have meaningful relationships with others. And then we realize that whenever we need them, that those connections aren't really there. We're all subject to becoming disconnected and lonely of feeling like we need other people in our lives, just like the people who we rely on are, are, um, are not really there. And so today we're going to talk about that. How can we overcome disconnection? This is the third week in our sermon series, Holding On to Hope. And in week one, Pastor Mark talked to us about overcoming cynicism. One of the things that we discussed is that the more we know, the more cynical we can become because we see the way things are in the world, the way things don't seem to go the way they ought to, and it's easy to respond to that by becoming cynical. But whenever we put our hope in Jesus, our hope never dies. And so we rely on him, and we can overcome cynicism together. And then last week, Pastor Mark talked about how we can overcome temptation, because we all come into these situations when we're tempted to compromise our values, what's most important to us. And if we want to hold on to what's most important to us, then what we do is put our character first, because it's the only thing about us that lasts forever. And so we put our character first, we focus on who we are becoming, and we allow the rest to take care of itself, because it all starts from our character Now today we're going to talk about disconnection, and and one of the things that we see is that really this is almost a crisis in our culture today. It's something that people are experiencing at extremely high levels, And, and it's kind of strange because we live in this paradox of being more connected than ever before to people in general. We can connect with people across the world, um, people we've never met before. We can have conversations with them. We can see what they're doing at any hour of the day. We can see breaking news as it's unfolding, but we are less connected to people in particular. We may have uh, connections with people around the world. We may be able to see what they're posting on their feeds. And yet more and more we are withdrawing into ourselves, into our devices, and losing connections with the people who are actually around us. One of the things we find is that we can connect with dozens of people with just a few minutes of scrolling while we ignore the people who are in the same room with us. It's easy to do. 
And yet, we, despite feeling like we have all of these strong connections around the world, across time, um, throughout our lifespan, we find that those connections ultimately can't carry us in the way that the people closest to us can if we nurture those connections. And yet those are the very ones that we're neglecting. And one of the things that's happening in our country is that despite our connections, Americans are experiencing alarming levels of loneliness. A study was done on that recently, um, seeing how the pandemic is affecting us. And a recent Harvard study found that 36% of respondents feel lonely frequently, almost all the time, or all the time. That's one in three people feeling lonely frequently or more often. And, and for people who were, for adults 18 to 25, that number was much higher, 61%. 61% felt lonely frequently or more. And for mothers of young children, that number was also high, 51%. We know there have been a lot of challenges that we've been facing over the last 12 months or more. And that um, for a lot of young people who are either going to college and trying to get into a community or who are going out on their own, who are leaving their family of birth but haven't quite settled into a community, this is a really hard time. And for many mothers who are um, at home with kids who are at home either all or part of the time now because of the pandemic, who are um, leading their children's schooling and maybe even had to leave the workforce, that can be an extremely lonely time. And this was a problem before the pandemic, but the pandemic has only made it worse. And one of the things that we know is that loneliness can lead to significant emotional and physical problems. Just the fact of of being lonely can, can cause problems in many other areas of our lives and lead to serious emotional and health issues. And so it's really important that we find ways to overcome it for ourselves and for those that we care about, and even those we don't know yet. And, and so I want to ask the question, why are we lonely? Well, as we look at that, there are many reasons. Some of those are complex, but here are just a few. One is what we've already talked about, that social media gives us a false sense of connection. We, we feel like we have connection to people. We see what's going on in their lives, but, but it doesn't nourish us the ways that actual conversation does, the way that being in, in person with other people um, nourishes us. And so we feel like we have these connections. We rely on them, but, but really they just increase our sense of loneliness if that's all that we have. The second is that we're too busy to connect. We feel like we've just got too much going on with, with our work, with our family, at home, trying to keep a household together, trying to worry about finances. I might be projecting here a little bit, but we've all got all of these things going on in our lives and feel like adding one more thing, making time to connect with our family, calling somebody, spending time with friends, it, sometimes it just feels like too much. And so we feel like we are too busy to connect with others. One of the really insidious things about loneliness is that it can also lead us to further isolate ourselves. Whenever we're lonely, we're more likely to assume that other people will reject us if we reach out to them, and so we don't reach out. And then we feel more lonely because we haven't reached out to others and we get more and more isolated. We're more likely to have negative thoughts that lead us to think things like that other people don't care about us or that, um, that we're the only ones who are giving in a relationship that other people aren't. And these negative thoughts just compound upon one another and it can really spiral and affect us in negative ways and really lead us just to become more lonely. And then finally, sometimes it's because we're too focused on ourselves. We're so focused on our things that we have going on, the things that are priorities to us. Sometimes we see relationships more as means to an end than as, an ends, than as ends in themselves. 
And so we pursue the things that we want. You know, we want to have our achievements. We want to be able to go on the vacations we want to go to. And, and, you know, we never really quite get around to the relationship stuff. That's more, you know, if we have time left over. But this is one of the things that Barbara Brown Taylor says. She says, The great wisdom traditions of the world all recognize that the main impediment to living a life of meaning is being self-absorbed. We seek lives of meaning, we seek lives of happiness, but whenever we pursue those things for their own ends, what it actually happens is that it takes us further away from those things. We become self-absorbed, we're seeking after things for ourselves, and our lives feel hollow and shallow. Really, the thing that's surprising is that whenever we seek those other things, whenever we seek to put others before ourselves, we actually experience more meaning and happiness in our own lives. And so those are some of the reasons, and we know that all of us will experience loneliness and disconnection at one point or another. And so how do we overcome that? Well, whenever we look to the tradition of Christianity, whenever we look at what the scriptures tell us, the place that we start is with loving our neighbor. And not just loving any neighbor, but loving our specific neighbors. And so many of you know, particularly if you've been to a church before, if you've grown up in church or have some background in uh, Christianity, you know that Jesus taught that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. If you really boil everything down, it comes down to those two commandments, Jesus tells us. And so this is what he says. He's, he's approached by someone who, um, who wants to ask him a question. And one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, Jesus answered them well. He asked them, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It all comes down to those two commandments, loving God and loving our neighbors. And so most of us know that. That's not a surprise to many of the people who are watching this, I'm guessing. We know the importance of loving our neighbors, but sometimes we struggle to love our specific neighbors, the actual people that we interact with in our day-to-day life. It's one thing to know that, that we're supposed to love people um, generally and, and even to love everybody, but it's quite another thing to actually love George and Joe and Susan and the people that we actually interact with in our daily life the members of our family, the people that we work with, our neighbor who will never cut their tree that is growing into our yard and tearing up our fence, all of those people that we actually have to deal with. It's harder to actually love those people. Barbara Bound Taylor um, talks about this struggle, and and she, she says this, I'm not sure it is possible to see the face of God in other people if you cannot see the faces they already have. That's uh that will get your attention. It's sometimes one thing to say, oh yeah, I see the image of God in everybody. I know everyone um, is a beloved child of God. But whenever we actually have to deal with loving the person in front of us, the specific person in front of us, that can be quite another thing. And so this is what we see from Jesus, from his life and ministry. And I think this story really illustrates the way that he treated people. So um, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. And so this man comes up to Jesus. He really wants to be faithful. He really wants to be obedient. And he wants to know, you know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? And so Jesus tells him, keep the commandments. And and the man responds that he's done this for his entire life. And so this is what Jesus does next. Jesus looking at him loved him. I think that part is so important. Jesus didn't just answer him, but, but pause to actually look at him. And Mark even goes so far as to tell us, Mark doesn't give us a lot of extra details. And so in the Gospel of Mark, when we're reading that and we see him going into detail, it's, it's important. He wants us to know something. So Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I don't want to get hung up on that last part. That's really important. We could say a lot about that, uh, could preach an entire sermon on it. But I think what is so important about this, Jesus had this teaching for the man, and before offering it to him, before giving him the instruction that he needed to, to really grow deeper in his spiritual life if, if he wanted to be perfect, was to look at him, to actually look at his face and to love him. And I think what this shows us is that Jesus does not love with a general love for everybody, but with specific love for every single person. And so whenever Jesus looks at you, Jesus doesn't just love you because he loves everyone. He loves you for who you are. You know, I think about, I have uh, three siblings. There were four of us growing up. And, and if I asked my mom if she loved me, and if she said, of course, I love all my children, that's not good enough. I want her to say, yes, Brandon, I love you. And that's what Jesus said to us. Jesus doesn't just love everyone. I mean, he does. I need to be careful what I'm saying there. He doesn't just love everyone generally, but loves every single person, including me and including you. He loves us in particular. And that's the example that he sets for us and what he commands us to do as well. And so if we're going to follow his example, loving our specific neighbors requires seeing them and spending time with them. Not just saying we have this general feeling of goodwill toward them, but actually seeing them, actually spending time with them, and then actually prioritizing connecting with them. It's a matter of setting our priorities. And that's a really hard thing for us to do. And uh, in fact, it, it really starts in our childhood. There's one study that, um, where youth were asked to rank what was most important. They were given three options. Achieving at a high level, happiness, which was defined as feeling good most of the time, or caring for others. Did you know only 20% chose caring for others? 80% chose the other two. That, that just caring for others wasn't as important to them. What, what caught my attention even more to that, in that same survey they asked adults what they observed from their own parents, 90% chose happiness or high achievement. Only 10% said what was most important to my parents was caring for others. As a parent of a five-year-old and uh, another child who's about to be born, that, that was really convicting to me. And I, I wondered, you know, I, I know the things that I say to my daughter, but I'm also aware that the things that I do have a much more serious um, effect than the things that I say. And so I wonder, what kind of impact am I having on her? If I asked her what she thinks her dad's priorities are, how would she answer? Would she say it's high achievement? Would she say it's getting my own happiness? Or would she say it's caring for others? And I wonder for you, whenever you examine your lived priorities, not just the things that you say are priorities, but the things that you actually live, the place where you put your time, where you invest your money, the place that, the things that you really make priorities in your life, where does caring for others rank? Is it the top 
or is it something that you get to if you have time, if you have, things, if you have time left over? For a lot of us, it's not where we want it to be. But the thing that I'm reminded of is that Jesus nowhere commands us to be high achievers. Jesus doesn't say, go, be at the top of your class, get into prestigious colleges, be in the top of your field, someone with professional accolades and titles and degrees and all of those things. He, doesn't, he also doesn't say, seek your own happiness, give yourself pleasure, whatever you want, you can have it. I want that for you. Those aren't the things that he says to us. And I'm not trying to throw stones. These are are things that I struggle with as well. I mean, one of the reasons that I chose the schools that I did is because of how prestigious the degrees might look on my wall one day. I mean, it's something that I struggle with. But Jesus nowhere commands us to seek those things. What he commands us over and over is to love our neighbors, to care for others. And so I ask myself, how am I caring for others? How am I prioritizing the people that God has called me to love? You know, one of the people that I've learned this from the best is from my godparents. Um, growing up, um, you know, they were people who were always in my life, uh, close friends of my parents. And um, my dad and my godfather um, had offices in the same building, so I'd frequently go uh, and uh, hang out with him and, and play with him and distract him. And um, looking back, he had a high tolerance for uh, me interrupting his work. Um, but he was just someone who, who I loved, who, who was uh, just one of the kindest people I knew who could always make me laugh. And around the time that I was 10 or 12, I found um, we were, I was going through um, some football cards with his son, and I found my godfather on the front of it. I think whenever I was 10 or 12, I was maybe the only person who grew up in Norman who didn't know that the Selman brothers were football players. Dewey Selman's my godfather, but uh, growing up, he, he was never a football player to me. He was just Dewey. He was the guy who was always there, um, who cared for me, and who gave me one of the best examples that I've ever seen of what it means to love your neighbor. And his wife, Catherine, my godmother, does that as well. One of the stories about him that, that I really love comes from whenever he was first in the NFL. He, he and his brothers were at the University of Oklahoma. They won two national championships. Um, Dewey was an All-American two years and then was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first year that that team was in existence. And in their first, in their first season, they went from winning a national championship at OU to going 0-14, not winning a single game. The next year it got better, but not much. They were 2-12. and 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 so they lost 26 games after winning back-to-back national championships. And he talks about his time this way. He said, someone asked me, Dewey, would you ever want to endure those two years of Tampa losing again? And I said, well, if I had a choice, I would keep those two losing years and give up two of my winning years at OU. Because during the losing years, I learned so much. I grew so much as a person and as a player in my personal faith, how I looked upon other people. You start thinking about your fellow person, your fellow teammate. So I would never trade those two years. Those two years are going to be mine forever. Now, I have a really hard time imagining that winning two games in two years would be something that I would want to keep forever. But that's who Dewey is. He's someone who's not looking for success, not looking for achievement, but is really looking for the things that he said that he learned about, about your teammates, about your fellow person. And I can say that is the kind of life that he lives. And truly that, the, that 
His football career is the least of all of his achievements. He and Catherine helped start Food and Shelter for Friends in Norman. They built an orphanage in Liberia with their children. And whenever their youngest had gone off to college and it was the time when they were supposed to be able to relax and travel, they adopted three more children from Liberia. They are the clearest examples I know of what it means to love God, to set aside the things of the world, the trappings of success as society would define it, and instead seeking the way of Jesus loving their neighbors as themselves. I'm so thankful for them, for all the good that they've done, and that I've had the privilege of, of witnessing their love in my life. And in fact, we see some of this in what Paul says to the, the Christians in Philippi. This is what he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so what he tells us is, is to prioritize others, not our own happiness, not our own achievement, but loving others, putting their needs before our own. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we have no regard for ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't love ourselves. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul tells us to start with others, to put them first, and then see what follows. And when we prioritize others, we begin to have inside of us the mind of Christ. We begin to think the way that he thinks, to embody what he has embodied for us. This is how Paul continues. He says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did all of that for our sake, emptied himself, poured himself out, put our needs before his own. That's what he teaches us. And that's how he invites us to love others as well. And so as we do that, what we seek to do is to live a connected life. We seek to put our neighbor first, to, to love them, to reach out in connection with them. Because loving our neighbors leads to a life of connection and joy. We experience deep connections, not ones that are, you know, just a, a transfer of a few bits of information, knowing whether or not they hit like on something we posted, which is a pretty meaningless indicator of connection. And instead, having deep relationships, relationships that are hard, that are sometimes really difficult, but that support us in times of need, that allow us to experience the love of Christ. And as we do that, not only can we avoid loneliness ourselves, but we can help others overcome it. As we connect with others, as we reach out to them, we can help with this pandemic of loneliness that so many people are struggling with. We can have communities where people thrive, where they know their neighbors, and where they know that they are loved. Thomas Burton describes this beautifully. He says it this way, because God's love is in me, it can come to you from a different and special direction that would be closed if he did not live in me. And because his love is in you, it can come to me from a quarter from which it would not otherwise come. Isn't that beautiful? Whenever I love you, whenever I have God's love in me and I love you, you can experience God's love through me in a way you never would have otherwise experienced it. And if God's love is in you and you love me, then I can experience God's love in a way that I never would have experienced it either. Because whenever we have these connections, whenever we love our neighbors, it allows us to connect with them through the love of God. We can allow God's love to, to um, we can allow them to experience God's love in a way that they never otherwise might have if God's love did not live in us. 
So I want to invite you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to embody the love of God for someone else as we stay connected with one another. And here are a few action steps that I want to invite you to take this week. First, I want to invite you to acknowledge someone you normally overlook. Someone that you, you know, maybe it's um, somebody who, your mail carrier, somebody who takes out your trash, somebody who, um, who you buy food from. I think of the, the guy who always checks us out as at um, a restaurant around the corner from our house. Every week he's there, um, and we, he treats us really nicely. I think fondly of him, but I realized I don't even know his name. And so acknowledge someone you normally overlook. And don't just say hi, but actually learn their name if it's somebody that you come into contact frequently. I remember whenever my dad was in the hospital, he was in the hospital for about two months, and so I was spending the night there pretty frequently. And one night at at Baptist Hospital, I I had been there all day, and um, then whenever night fell, I went out to my car to get my pillow and some other things that I needed. And as I came in, if you come into the hospital at night, you have to sign in. And so I walked up to the guard and, you know, asked him, I said, you know, I've been here all day. Do I have to sign in as well? He said, yeah, you know, I, I need you to. It's, it's part of the rules. And, and I looked at him and said, you know, that's fine. I understand that the rules are there for a reason. And I was so surprised that by the way he responded, he looked at me and, said, and just kind of with surprise on his face said, thank you for saying that. I, I didn't think that I'd said anything significant, but just in the act of acknowledging that what he did mattered, I made an impact on him. I, I wasn't trying to, but, but I did. And that's the power that we can have whenever we just acknowledge someone especially someone whom other people usually overlook. And so that's one of the places that we can start. The second one is to stop doing something that keeps you too busy to prioritize connection. As we talked about earlier, one of the biggest problems with connecting with others is that we're just too busy to do it. We feel like we don't have enough time. And so piling one more thing onto everything else is not going to cut it. Instead, we have to stop the things that are getting in the way so that we can start prioritizing connection and relationships. Because it's like those statistics, whenever my daughter grows up, I want her to say that what she learned from me is that the most important thing to me was caring for others. And that's an example that she carries on. But that won't happen if I don't change my priorities. And so stop doing something that gets in the way, that keeps you too busy. And finally, reach out to someone this week. Give them a phone call. I know that we are still in the midst of of the pandemic. Some of us have been vaccinated. Some of us have not. And so wherever you are, whatever you can do, it's easy to focus sometimes on the things that we can't do because of the virus. But focus on what you can do. And whether that's going and visiting someone, if you can do that safely, if it's having people over on your back porch, if it's just giving somebody a phone call, reach out to connect with someone in a meaningful way in some way beyond a text or an email. Reach out to them so they can at least hear the sound of your voice. And as we do that, we can overcome loneliness and allow them to experience the love of God through us. In that study, one of the things that Richard Weisbord, one of the authors, um, recommends is, is for us to do this. He says, if every person who's in pretty good shape can make a commitment to reaching out to one person they're concerned might be lonely once a week, that would be a good thing. And wouldn't that be a good thing? And in a time when so many people are lonely, when people are desperate for a connection, if we would just reach out once a week to somebody that we're concerned about, that can make such a difference. And what an opportunity for the church to be the church, for us to share the love that God has given to us. We can make such a difference. And one of the things that we find is that it also makes a difference for us. 
We developed a friendship with one of our neighbors over the last few years, uh, Miss Liz, and um, we have a great relationship with her. Uh, we just, whenever the big ice storm came, we shoveled her driveway, and um, recently, as when she found out that we were expecting, she came over with a card and a gift, and it's been just such a gift to have that relationship with her. And one of the things that we found is that even though we try to reach out to her and to, to be kind to her, uh, we actually receive so much more than we give, and we experience the love of God through one another. And so reach out this week so that God's love might shine through you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you make us for one another and that you invite us in relationship with yourself and into relationship with each other. And so God, help us to nurture those relationships. Help us to reach out to people that we don't know, to people that we've neglected, to people that we already have strong relationships with. Help us to nurture that connection. And God, let your love flow through us so that others might experience that in a new way and that we might experience it as well. God, we thank you that Jesus shows us how to connect with others, how to love them, and that he teaches us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.